the most criticized person in the PCA is Tim Keller. Yeah. You know, second is me. Yeah. So, you know, but it's always been that way. You know, I've uh, all my life I, uh, of adulthood, you know, there, there are people who don't know me, but are sure that, you know, I have horns and a tail. <laughs> and so, and I don't mind expressing that. So uh, I can remember at one point years ago as, as uh, social media was just kind of growing up and my kids were reading stuff about their dad. And my sons, of course, want to go punch somebody out. Yeah. My daughters just want to go to their room and cry. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wrote a letter to my kids and I had to say to them, um, when you read people saying those things, that is not the church. Mm. Well, welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast. It's a podcast of Perimeter Church, and I'm thrilled to be your host, Jeff Norris, pastor of Perimeter Church, and joined uh, with... Laura today. Laura Story Elvington is my co-host. We're thrilled to have a very special guest with us, Dr. Brian Chapel. I bet you say that about all your guests. Well, yeah. you know, maybe, but um, very, but we, very, special very, guest. very special. Oh, yes. We are we are thrilled to have you with us, and uh, we're in this series that we're calling Faith and, and uh, we're we've been walking through with other guests just different topics of faith and culture and faith and. Um, technology and so on and so forth. And, and uh, Brian, we have you here today to talk with us about faith and pastoral ministry. Now you may hear that and go, okay, well, this one's not for me. I'm not in pastoral ministry. And I want you to hold on. I want you to stick with us uh, because I think you're going to learn a couple of things. One, that there's going to be some things that are shared in this episode that you'll go, man, I didn't realize pastors think about that or deal with that or process that. And that'll help me to perhaps even encourage my pastor. Mm-hmm. But um, Laura, you said something to me before the show that I think is good too for listeners to think about is about how they might be in pastoral ministry more than they realize, right? Well, I think um, I think any ministry is going to have some sort of pastoral aspect to it. It's even just raising children, you yeah. know, being the chief shepherds of our, of our kids uh, just, I think there's going to be a ton that we can learn today. Yeah. Just really anyone. Yeah. And and I think what we talk through today will prove to be, to your point, more applicable than than one might think when they hear yeah. faith in pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. So, um, Brian, tell us about you real quick. Wait, you you pastored a church I for pastor- many years. Yes. Not just one. Yes. Right? Uh, we'll get to what you're doing now, but tell us a little bit about kind of your your pastoral track pastor. over the years? Well, uh, too, my, my dad was a pastor. Uh, mm. he, he was in a church that did not ordain pastors, so the elders were the preachers. Mm. And uh, so he was a, a lay Baptist minister on a circuit of three churches in three different states. Wow. Okay. And so um, we went to one church every week, but my dad would uh, take one of the six kids and take to on the circuit. And mm. so, you know, we would alternate and then we would go That's and cool. listen to my dad. And those were little country, uh, primitive Baptist churches, and usually just one room. And, uh, you know, a crowd might be 25 or 30 people. Always the King James Bible version. Oh, definitely, yeah. always yeah. the King James. Yeah. 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 And Schofield reference. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so yes, it was. Uh, but that was good. It was good yeah. to, to... My dad was very faithful into his, into his 90s. He was mm. uh, still on the circuit. And... Uh, Finding a successor was hard for him. And that was kind of his major task of the last decade of his life. 
And when I started preaching, I was in seminary, and like a lot of us, you know, you you learn by doing. Yeah. So there's a little country church outside of St. Louis that asked me to come and and preach on Sundays, and I still want to go back and apologize to those people. You know, I, I'm so sorry you know, yeah. for for what happened in those days. But the good thing was, I met my she was my wife was the piano my to be wife. Right. Uh, was the piano player. Oh. So we had many worship planning meetings and met. And, yeah, they, yeah, you did. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, so what y'all met in that small church, we met in that small church. How about and that? Uh, so I would go over on Sundays and, and preach and then stay with her family for lunch. And, uh, then, uh, yeah, That's things, awesome. things develop. Wife there. is Kathy. That's yeah. Kathy. Yeah. And, uh, finished seminary. And, uh, you've heard a little of my story, I think before, um, thing that, was sweet, but not necessarily good for my soul, was right after seminary, I was asked to pastor what was the oldest and the largest church in our presbytery in our region. Mm. And uh, how do I say this? I mean, man, I thought I was big stuff. I mean, look at me, (laughs) young guy, big church, historic church, right out of the box, you know, but but I I really did not know what I was doing. And it wasn't just that I was kind of out of my depth my understanding of preaching was just tell people how to straighten up, fly right, and do better. And if they don't, come back next week and tell them again and really grind it into them. Try harderism. Try harderism, do better. Uh, You know, I I did a lot of stop it. You know, all the bad stuff you're doing, Mm -hmm. just stop. And uh, you know my story. I said stop it so often I couldn't stand me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I said to Kathy at some point, I didn't go to seminary to learn to hurt people. Wow. But I stand in the pulpit every Sunday, and I hurt people. Wow. And, and I can't do this anymore. And so we, we actually prepared to leave ministry and uh, didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, we called her parents and said, I don't know what, it, but I can't do this anymore. Mm. How old were you at that, at that point? Um, I was probably about 28. Mm. And, uh, and what, what the Lord did was he brought into my life the writings of a wonderful man named Sidney Gradonis. And he, he was actually, in the first book I read of his, he was dealing with a debate in a historic church, which was, how do you preach the heroes of the Bible? You know, just be like David. You know, just straighten up, fly right. You got Goliath in your life. If you have enough faith, you can beat them up. Yeah. You should be like David, except for that chapter about Bathsheba. Yeah, right. <laughs> and how he yeah. murdered her husband to have her. And then he raised bad kids. Yeah. And then walked away from the Lord toward right. the end of his life. Right. And... What Sidney Gradonis did was he kind of went to all the heroes of the Bible and he demythologized them. He mm. just told the straight Bible story without the Sunday school um, purification. Yeah. yeah. And, and the message was everybody in the Bible's a mess mm-hmm. except for one. Yeah. And everybody else needs him. Yeah. And as obvious as that may be to me now, it revolutionized my preaching to mm. say if there are messed up people that God can help, then maybe that will help people in the church who have messed up. But nobody needed that message more than the pastor who wasn't out of his 20s yeah. and believed he'd been given this, you know, this historic large church and, and had messed up and was ready to leave ministry and to believe that, that God has a hope for messed up people, mm. that it's not over, he can redeem and restore and reuse. It, it, it not only changed me, it became what I wanted to say to people the rest of That's my good. life. That's good. And, it, you know, it's just, it's just the gospel. But, yeah. you know, I was preaching the gospel of do better rather than the gospel of depend on Christ, who will help you do, mm-hmm. as, as you will ultimately love doing. Mm-hmm. He'll change your want to more than you become something that he'll love. 
No, because he loves you, become what you will love to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, so well, that let, became ministry and seminary later when I taught there and then well, back I wanna, into the pastor I want to pick up later. there, but I want to pause because uh, I promised the listener there's going to be something that's way more than just insight on pastoral ministry because yeah. you're, you're already hearing, uh, we, we, there, there are people listening right now that are going, oh my goodness, that's me. That's how I've approached Christianity. Yeah. To try harder, to be better, and I'm dying, I'm struggling, I'm, you know, and and have, I, don't, I, I don't know that I've ever experienced the joy of knowing Jesus and, his, and experiencing his grace. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm even just thinking about that right now, yeah. of how that's, um, that's probably hitting someone really, really, well right now well and and i remember so i attended the seminary where you were the president for many years and that uh that was the biggest um paradigm shift for me Hmm. and how i read the scriptures and and like you said how i taught the scriptures and wanting to go back to all those other groups (laughs) prior to that and apologize um but it really does it takes the weight off of us um both as believers, but I'd say as, as ministers, in which everyone's called to some sort of ministry. And so often uh, you feel disqualified for ministry because mm-hmm. you're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm not being better. I'm not doing better. Yep. Uh, and so it, it, hearing you even tell this story now, um, I'm so grateful that God brought you through that hard chapter but it doesn't surprise me at all that he that he put you as the president of a sem- of a seminary that was training pastors and teaching them that good mm-hmm. theology as well as your current post now. Yeah, tell, so, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, and so pick up where you left off, like what you in terms of the church that yeah you thought you were a big shot at, and then God really brought the gospel in a fresh way into your own life, right? And then where did you go from there? Was it straight to the seminary from there, or? What? I went to, they asked me to teach preaching, which, which I, I did for two years and then resigned. And you may not know that story, but uh, uh, no, I don't. Uh, yeah. I, president, I was with the president. We were actually doing some church planting evaluation sorts of things with who the man was then president. And I said, you know, it's been great for you to have me here teaching preaching, but you know, I'm a pastor and mm. uh, this is not uh, me. Mm. And uh, so he said, well, listen, before you leave, um, would you th- consider being dean of faculty? And we'll form a faculty who teaches what you want to teach. Well, that only took about 30 years then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I became the president. I mean, but that, w- that was rather than go back into the pastorate, which is what I wanted to do. Right. It became what Laura was saying. It became how do we train pastors yeah. with, how do I say, avoid the bear trap I fell into oh, of so your goal is to teach people to do what they don't want to do. You know, yeah. that's your goal in life, to make them do what they don't want to Well. I just don't believe that's the pastoral goal anymore. Mm. The pastoral goal is to help people grow in love for Christ. So what he requires is actually what they want to do. Yeah. That their their joy becomes fulfilling the desires of the one they love the most. Mm. And the what the reason they love him the most is because he first loved them. And it's it's that gospel formula that sounds too simple to be powerful. Yeah. And yet it, it is the power of what changes people's hearts. And so what Laura said, I, I just wanted to, I never felt I was really a good president or dean or whatever. I really just wanted to train pastors mm. to be part of a gospel movement. Yeah. And, and people sometimes misunderstand that. You know, they think, oh, you're, you're not being true to scripture or 
you're just emphasizing grace too much, and therefore people will become antinomian. They won't do what the Bible requires. They actually, if they mm-hmm. love Jesus, what did Jesus say? If you love me, you'll keep my commands, yeah. right? Yeah. But it's, it's, it's not rules that change, it's motivation that change. Mm-hmm. So I did that for about 30 years and thought, okay, enough. I want to go back into the pastorate. This is at yeah. Covenant, Covenant <clears throat> Seminary, that was at Covenant in, Seminary. So, in St. Louis, yeah. So I went back into the pastorate and, and was at an, another kind of historic large church, uh, but very different attitude in me. Curiously, and, and Jeff, I'll just say, it was one of the most beautiful experiences of our lives in ministry, in part because the church had been crushed by the same attitude mm. that I had as a younger pastor. Mm. So this was a, a, you know, a very large church in a mid-sized city, and when the elders came to ask me to be the pastor, they said, you know, would you come be the pastor of this church? And I said, you know, I'm actually trying to get out of administration. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and they said, no, we, we can do that. Look at us. About eight pastors came out of this large session. So about eight pastors, eight elders came. And they said, just look at who's in the room with us here. Um, none of our children will attend our church. Mm. We know that we have ministered in pride, but we don't know what else to do. I mean, so, you know, you got this multi-thousand member church in a small town, and they said, our message is, if your kids are doing well and you have a good job and you look great, you are welcome at our church. Mm. And for that reason, our children don't want to come because they can't live up to the expectations we put on them. Will you please come teach us the gospel? And you've heard my story, Jeff. I mean, the, the elders were so desirous of the church becoming gospel-oriented, not just performance-oriented, not just appearance-oriented, that everything, you know, we didn't, not everything we tried worked, but they were willing to try everything Mm. for the sake of their children and their community and outreach and let the gospel be known. Mm. And, and we grew and, and, you know, we were all lily white at one point. And then by the time I left, you know, about half of our children were children of color and we were mm. translating in five languages. And, mm. and, and it was because of those leaders who were just saying, whatever the gospel needs, we will do. Not what will make us bigger, brighter, yeah. shinier, but whatever the gospel. Need. And I just praise God for that period of my life, bringing those men who were so malleable to what the spirit wanted and so supportive of Kathy and me. So well, that's that was a beautiful experience, which is why we have rocks in our head to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, and we'll get to that. But I, you know what I love about what you just shared is that those men, those elders, they they had they had reached the end of mm-hmm. performance Christianity and spirituality, and they had said, "Okay, it's produced fruit in the sense of there's a lot of people here, but we're we're not at the heart level where we need to be. We need the gospel." We need Jesus. We need to be captivated with his beauty. We need to, you know, these, and, and God writes the best stories of what he had led you through in your life to bring you to a point where you could be the pastor of that church, having walked through that same mm-hmm. experience to lead them into a, a rich experience of the gospel of grace. Mm-hmm. When did, a question I'm curious about is, at what point along that journey uh, did you write Christ-centered preaching? Because um, that was the book that trained me as a pastor, right? And, and I, I often joke, uh, I, I preach now and pastor a church where the man who literally wrote the book <laughs> on preaching that I was trained on um, 
is is worships here. So yes. so and I have know, my critique sheet out every, every time. time. <laughs> no, well, you you no, joked about not. that, but we yeah. we actually the first time first few times you started coming, all the all the guys on the teaching team were nervous. <laughs> oh, it was <laughs> like, like were there charges brought up like that we don't know about? What's oh, he doing man. here? <laughs> there were there were there were times. So so Brian for the listener, Brian and Kathy worship at Perimeter and we'll get to why they're here and and Kathy's a member here, Brian is not because of his position now in our denomination, but um, and we'll talk about that again in just a second, but, oh man, there were times. You, you don't know that the reverse is true. Okay. So you let me preach here every now and then. And of course, what I'm aware of is all my former students have their critique sheets out. And there's, <laughs> is he doing what he told is us? He, is, is he being is, consistent? Is he, is he still doing, you know, yeah. so I know they're doing the same thing. Oh, there, there were times and you won't like hearing this cause you'll be like, cause I know your heart and you never want it to be this way. But early on, when you guys first started attending here, there were times where I'd be preaching and as I'm preaching and kind of making, you know, connection with the with the congregation, and you see faces and whatnot. I'd be in the middle of saying something. I'd see Brian. It'd be like in with the, a frown on my face. No, no, no. no. But, but I mean, my goodness, there would be this just this moment of, and I, hopefully I hit it well outwardly, but inwardly I'm like, oh, there's Brian Chapel. Oh, you know. That's really so, funny. Um, but yeah, so you're here now, right? You're just down the road. You're at the PCA headquarters, which is in Lawrenceville, Georgia, which is 20 minutes up the road from where Perimeter sits. And uh, what do you do? Tell us, tell us about what you're, what you're. You're still a pastor at heart. You're always yeah. a pastor. And, but, and for our non-PCA people, yeah, explain that a little bit as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I think from the business world, uh, you would say it's the CAO, so the Chief Administrative Officer mm-hmm. of of the PCA. And we would never use that language, right? We say stated clerk, so that whoever has the position is humble, (laughs) right? You know, Um, but the idea, we have 10 committees and agencies, you know, publishing houses, schools, mission agencies, church planning agencies. And so we have 10 of those. So the stated clerk, the chief administrative officer is to try to keep them communicating and coordinated. Mm -hmm. And then we, you know, we have whatever it is, 2,000 churches out there and um, 88 regional bodies. And so it's, it's trying to keep people uh, communicating, coordinating, thinking well of one another. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, that's usually the hardest job. Yeah. But, um, my, Jeff, it's not, administration has never been my favorite thing. Mm. Pastoring is my heart. Yeah. And I think my sense of the job is, because of the strains in our culture right now, they enter the church, the polarities of whether it's politics or region mm-hmm. or race or um, economics, all those tensions enter the church, yeah. which means uh, the people who study us say we've never been more at odds with one another as a culture than since the Civil War. Yeah. That's true of the church, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. The church has never been more at odds with itself. Mm. And so... Uh, when leaders of our church recruited Kathy and me to come for this position, for about two years we said, no, why would we ever want to do that job? Mm. We're in a church that we love with people that love us. But at some point we began to feel, would it be dishonoring to the Lord not to try to help yeah. his church yeah. in, in this time? Would we look back in five years and say, why didn't we even try? Yeah. Now only the Holy Spirit can do what needs to be sure. done. Mm-hmm. But if, if we can help in that, we felt obligated to. So 
there are administrative things to do, but a lot of my job is getting angry people in the same room and saying, please talk to one another, Mm -hmm. please, and listen. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe what you've said and thought about one another isn't fully uh, the story. Well, which is so pivotal and critical right now in the life of of our denomination, but just the church in general. And God's put you in this spot for such a time as this. I really believe that. And, um, you are pastoring even in that administrative Absolutely. position and you're giving oversight to the whole denomination mm-hmm. and you're doing, in my opinion, you're doing a wonderful job. We're, Let, we're big fans. We're big, big fans. We're big fans. Thank you. Uh, can I take can, you on the road with me? No, yeah, I'll be your hype man. Everywhere can, you go. I'll can hype I you. ask this? Uh, because you are at that, such a high level seat. What is it that you see now? Like what are pastors mm-hmm. facing? What, what are the biggest Positive or negative trends you see in pastoral ministry. And before you answer that, let, let me just give a little anecdotal. This morning, I, I don't I don't get on Twitter often for for a reason, right? Because I usually end up curled up in a ball, and, you know, whatever. <laughs> but um, too much information. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a little insight in my life. Um, but it was interesting this morning. I, I just I just opened it up very briefly. Someone, a friend, had actually sent me a, a tweet. He said, "Hey, what are your thoughts on this?" So, so it goes to my homepage, and I notice that in my feed, next to each other, is there's one where um, is leaning to the side of where there's just just complete bashing going on of this individual and something that they said that is being perceived within a very theologically conservative context, but is being perceived as a is a line of thought or jargon, whatever you want to call it, towards a progressive agenda. The very next tweet was a um, another group of people coming after this individual, another individual who had said something that they perceived to be more on the ultra-conservative side and that where there's this continued power grab and control and whatever. So anyway, it was just, it was interesting to me that just right there back to back, you had People really coming after "quote unquote" progressivism, and then the very next tweet coming after far right conservatism, and I just kind of walked away, going, "Man, this is just so discouraging." What? How do we even begin? Yeah. Welcome even, to my life. Welcome <laughs> yes. to your life. <laughs> yes. And 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 we see it in our churches all the time. Yeah. And how do we even begin to like you said? How do you how do you get people in the room? Get them off Twitter, you know, to have conversations. So anyway, I feel like Laura and I ask you two different questions. But, we both have you know. so many questions for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, however you feel led to answer any of I, that. I don't think we'll get them off Twitter uh, or out of Facebook um, yeah. or, or whatever is the social media of the moment. Um, I, I do think there is the opportunity to address their hearts mm. and to say, do you really think that person of whom you spoke or to whom you spoke that way is not a believer. Because if they are a believer, then you believe that Christ indwells them, that they are as precious to God as Jesus is, Mm. that Jesus, in fact, gave his blood to purchase Mm. their redemption. If they are that precious to God, is it right for you to address them that way or speak about them that way? I, I, I would love to keep going after their conscience. And because typically it is a biblical conviction that's driving the rhetoric, but it's not the heart. Yeah. It is a theological concept. Mm-hmm. So we, we are kind of brains on a stick battling one another, 
right? And forgetting there's a heart and there's a person for whom Christ died yeah. uh, that's behind that. So it doesn't mean we can't express our convictions, but to express it with charity and love for the person, if that person is really as wrong as you say they are, then would not love demand that you try to dissuade them in a way that is gentle, respectful. You know, always be ready to give reason for the hope that's in you, but do so with gentleness and respect, said Peter. And Peter, of course, wanted to fly off the handle yeah. as much as anybody. Yeah, he struggled greatly with that. Uh, yeah. But at yeah. the same time, he's saying, I, I know the way I should be talking to and about people. And, and Jeff, uh, again, uh, I forget if I've repeated this, but I, I've been in national office long enough, and I'll, I'll, you can decide on if you want to cut this out of your podcast stuff. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it, the most criticized person in the PCA is Tim Keller. Yeah. You know, second is me. Yeah. So, you know, but it's always been that way. You know, I've uh, all my life I, uh, of adulthood, you know, there are people who don't know me, but are sure that, you know, I have horns and a tail. <laughs> and so, and I don't mind expressing that. So uh, I can remember at one point years ago as, as uh, social media was just kind of growing up and my kids were reading stuff about their dad. And my sons, of course, want to go punch somebody out. Yeah. My daughters yeah. just want to go to their room and cry. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wrote a letter to my kids and I had to say to them, um, when you read people saying those things, that is not the church. Mm. Um, I want you to love the church and people mm. in the church love one another, and they speak as though Jesus indwells the other person. And what you're reading is a betrayal. It is not the church. I don't want you to hate the church because of what you see church people writing. Yeah. Now, about six months ago, uh, I did not know it happened. Um, my wife saved that letter, and about six months ago, she brought it to the breakfast table and said, you might want to read this again. Yeah. <laughs> you wrote this. Read you wrote this. Yeah. 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 Now, my kids now love the church mm. because they don't believe that's the church. Yeah. I so much want some young pastors to know yeah. that's not the church. That's, so that's yeah. not the way Christ, he can address his enemies that way. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you actually believe that they are children of Satan, by all means, weigh into them. But if you actually believe that that person is going to be your brother eternally in heaven, yeah. then calibrate how you say things. Mm-hmm. And what I know, because I've been at this long enough, those, and it's usually young pastors, it's not usually the older guys. I mean, the older guys may be more set in their ways, but they're not as active on social media. The guys who are most vitriolic on social media uh, or whatever publication is present will ultimately leave the church or leave their families or leave the faith or take their lives mm. because you can't live in darkness in one category of your life. So I just talk to people like this, you know, and flame them. Yeah. Yeah. But when I talk to my wife, I'll be totally different. Mm. When I talk to my kids, I won't let that enter. You can't do that. Yeah. And the consequence is you end up destroying yourself in the campaign to destroy other people. Mm. Wow. So yeah. I, I, you know, my heart, it grieves for what you read. My heart, grieves for what is usually young pastors who who have not got a lot of history in the church honestly in this yeah. day and age yeah. most of the people who are pastors their dads were not mm-hmm. they've not got long history in church about half of them were converted in their young adulthood those are the pastors of this generation and they actually don't know how to talk in the church mm-hmm. so they bring their secular rhetoric into the power politics of the church and actually think they're doing a good thing yeah, yeah. 
when they are speaking of and about people the way you just described. They, they see themselves, many see themselves as gatekeepers of, of what's good and true, but they're, they're actually destroying people in the process, right? They're, they're hurting people in the process. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately themselves. And right? themselves, bitterness, to your point. Bitterness yeah. is the acid that destroys its own container. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so assuming, assuming that no pastor intentionally goes down that road, what, what would you suggest mm-hmm. keep someone well, I, I, wait. Say that again. What do you suggest? To keep um, them from going down that road. Keep them from going down that road. Gotcha. Well, honestly, what I'm trying to do in this podcast is warn them. So, a warning. Yeah. Right. If if you think you can can speak about people in one category of life this way and it will not touch those that you love, yeah, that's just foolishness. You know that your yeah. own logic should tell you I cannot live that way mm-hmm. in in that world. If it twists my heart to speak of people that way in this character, out of in this area of life, I will do it in other areas. Mm. Inevitably, I'm training myself how I speak to and about people. Yeah. So uh, one is warning, but two, I think you just have to, I think you have to keep saying, is that a child of Christ? Did Christ Mm. purchase them with his own blood? Does God treasure them? Yeah. Then may you speak about them that way. Now you can certainly sharply try to correct them, but to be disrespectful, uncharitable, unloving, try actually to damage them in mm-hmm. the way there is no biblical justification for that. Mm. Speak of your convictions with power and force. Of course, all of us are obligated to do that. But you, it, you know, when the arguments get ad hominem, right, I'm trying to embarrass. I'm, I'm trying to mock. I'm creating memes about that person so that they will be foolish in other people's eyes. Mm. Then you're saying, where's that in the Bible? Mm. Mm. <laughs> and, so much of where those young pastors are again is, and I, I, I grieve mm. for the pastoral model of what is faithfulness as a young pastor is I get to be an influencer. I get yeah. recognized on Twitter, I get recognized by my peers. They think I'm a really great guy because I can embarrass other people and argue. And I kind of go, there might be a widow in your church that needs your care right now. Right. Right. There might be a f- couple that's coming apart that, that needs you to speak strongly but gently. There might be people who need to know the Lord that you might spend some time with mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. So the, the definition of what is a faithful pastor is being warped in our time. And I, you know, I'm not one of the, I don't want to be an old geezer just you know, hop, mm-hmm. <laughs> harping on social media. Mm-hmm. They're going to be on social media. We're not going to change that. Right. But, but to say, has it become an addiction to you yeah. of how much time you spend and what you feel you need to say there mm-hmm. in order to gain respect from other people. Yeah. Because deep down, those who are flaming others the most are insecure, right? Mm. Because what I'm trying to get is your respect. I'm trying to yeah. get you to regard me highly because yeah. of how well I destroy other people. Yeah. yeah. And, and to say, actually, that's not where your identity should come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Gosh, that's, you know, as a, I don't know if I qualify as young anymore, 43, uh, I was on a, you're young. Well, <laughs> I was on a college campus. You know, I did, I did campus ministry for 13 years before coming here to Perimeter. And um, I got to go and spend the day a few days ago before, you know, we we're recording this at Georgia Tech and, and we was with some campus ministers down there on their campus. And it was awesome. It was kind of just all the old memories coming back of what I used to do. And one of the guys told me, uh, he said, yeah, you're an old pastor now. And uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, thanks for that. That's encouraging. But uh, yeah, be suspicious. Maybe I'm over 30. Remember that? That's yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, I, you know, I guess in my mind, the point I'm making is I, I, I still feel like an old pastor. 
I mean, an old pastor, a young pastor, not an old pastor. Um, I've only been senior pastor for three and a half years and, you know, stepped into this role just a few months before the craziness of 2020. And, and so I feel like, you know, it was like in some ways, man, just jump into the deep end and it's going to be chaos from the beginning. And I've seen the Lord be so faithful through it, but I see the, uh, as a, at least in my perception, a young pastor, I, I feel deeply a lot of what you're saying. And, um, I want to say even to the, those who are listening that are part of perimeter church, I mean, I, I love this church and by and large, the people here have been amazing. You know, it's the vocal minority by far that seeks to tear down and destroy and whatnot. Um, but I feel, I feel what you're saying. And I know there's a lot of other, not just pastors, but people out there that feel, I know Laura feels it. I mean, Laura's in a, in a prominent position herself with her music career. And so she gets, I would assume unneeded, um, Criticism. Every, now and then. Every now and then, but but nah, not music. There's nothing. But, <laughs> but it's not like what you guys face. It, it really is. It's different. But one thing I can say about you, Jeff, and how you have sought to handle that. First of all, the awareness of the fact that you're a young pastor and you have a lot to learn. Mm. Um, you, I've never seen you take taking on perimeter church as like that stepping stone, like a big, it's a bigger ministry, bigger platform. It's always been a humbling thing for you. Mm. But the thing that I've, yes. I've respected the most has probably been your awareness that you need older pastors speaking into your life. Mm. Um, and that's both, both the way that you um, have always um, deferred to Randy Pope, you know, as the founding pastor in so many areas, as well as uh, seeking out, Guys like Dr. Chapel, guys like Crawford Long, um, Crawford Loritz. Um, and Crawford Long, whoever he is. Like, you know, yeah. He's like the name of a hospital. Crawford a Long, hospital. whoever you are, I'd love your input. It'd be great. Yeah. But I've, I've appreciated that. And so what, what I want to ask you, Dr. Chapel, are there, um, like, what is the support system for the young pastor? Mm. And whether that's um, things within the denomination, things within, like, even what you're doing with, your personal ministry. How are you um, seeking to to grow these men up um, in in the, in the way that we're that we're saying that God's called them to, rather than kind of how culture says this yeah. is what it means to be a an influencer pastor. Yes. And how do they not burn out? Like how oh, do, that's how great. do you, how do you how are you coming alongside younger pastors, and not maybe just you personally, but just even in what you're doing with your ministry that I'm going to tell everybody about in just a moment, but my fear, certainly, not only for myself, but for young pastors, to Laura's point, is that eventually, I mean, everybody has their limit, right? Yeah. And eventually you just say, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And, you know, whether it be burnout or just um, fatigue of yeah. dealing with the craziness of the culture that we're right. dealing with. You know, so anyway, it, what are your yeah. thoughts? Well, I'll, I'll try to pull a lot together in a hurry. Sorry, it's too, too many uh, too many facts I could throw at you. So let me do this best way I can. Through the 90s, when I was still in seminary training, what we recognized was um, one-third of everybody trained for pastoral ministry would leave the ministry within the first five years. Mm. So spend all that time, energy, effort, and leave the ministry within the first, so all kinds of study. Why are all these guys leaving the ministry in the first, you know, what's going on? 
So a couple of things. One um, is the changing nature of culture, that the expectations for pastors have changed hugely. Now, we're in a Presbyterian church here. Used to be, if you're in a Presbyterian church, your parents, your parents, parents, so, mm-hmm. you know, everybody had been in Presbyterian. Right now, how many people at Perimeter were raised in a Bible-believing Presbyterian church? Mm-hmm. I will tell you, I would— Very if, few. Very yeah. few. Yeah. Very few. That means they come from all different backgrounds, and they have all different expectations of what you're supposed to do. And most of them want not to repeat what they didn't like about their background, but for you to do what they did like mm-hmm. out of their background. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they don't recognize, does that fit or not fit? And so the expectations are huge because they're looking at somebody on TV who sparkles and he does it great. They don't know all that's going on in his church, but it's, yeah. a, it's a very polished image of what, you know, right. if you were doing it right, you'd be doing it that way. And at the same time, I want you to incorporate into your church the stuff that I liked from my background, even though it's not this church's background. Right. And, and you've got 6,000 people who are all saying the same, that and mm-hmm. pull in different directions, yeah. which means to your support system, if the leadership of the church is not saying, this is our mission and this is the direction we're going mm-hmm. and we're supporting Jeff in this, mm-hmm. then you will be torn apart yeah. by all the conflicting mm-hmm views from the different backgrounds. So, so that's, that's one reason. But no matter what happens, our own humanity says, but I need to get real busy to make all these people happy somehow. I need to do enough that I can satisfy their desires. Mm. And that puts you on the treadmill yep. so that you become like a friend of mine once said, I feel guilty when I sit down because mm. I, 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 there's always something else to do. I can't do it. Yeah. So what we concluded in the 90s was, the things that are driving burnout, that was the language of the time, yeah. is two things. One, uh, lack of family background in the church, both of the pastor and the people. There's too much different. And two, the other F, fatigue. Mm. Can't keep up. We got to the 2000s and we said, you know, that doesn't, it's not quite fitting mm. because pastors have adjusted to the, uh, to the influx of people, not from their background usually Mm. we know we have to deal with that second most pastors are pretty good hard workers they kind of knew what they were getting in for their uh, loyalty to christ is high their willingness to work is usually pretty high it's not just fatigue what else then we saw it's anger Mm. it's resentment if you take anger and you put it with fatigue it will absolutely sap your strength. Mm. And what COVID did was it put pastors in the position of nothing I do is going to make everybody happy. Yep, yep. No matter which choice I make, nursery, not mercy, mass, not mass, separate services, same. No matter what choice I make, I have people mad at me. Mm. And at some point in me, something says, how dare they do that? Yeah. I'm trying so hard. Right. And if you can't forgive people, if you can't, find a gospel way to deal with your resentment, then it will destroy you. Mm. Now, in, when you're not fatigued, it won't because you got enough energy to kind of keep going. But if you, take, mm. if you take resentment and you mix it with fatigue, you cannot last. Mm. And so to your point, what we have said is pastors need other pastors. You need, you need some sort of core group of guys that are supportive of one another, going through life together, doing life together. 
you need leadership who understands what you're going through. You know, you need people like me to come and talk to your session and say, this is a different era than Randy went through. It is not the same thing. He cannot pastor the same way. The church is not the same church, right? Um, it, it, so understand you need a support group within the church. You need fellow pastors and some sort of fellowship core that are saying, hey, guys, how did you deal with this? What are you facing? Help me go know how to deal with this particular thing. And you, you need family time. You need recoup time with what recharges your batteries. So that, you know, the language of the moment is self-care, which sounds selfish. But it actually is saying, if you do feel guilty every time you sit down, if you can't play a game of golf, if there's no way that you will let yourself off the hook to recharge with the Lord's goodness, then you will die. Yeah. And you can't, you can't keep going that way. So self-care is a good thing. Your family is not competition for the church. Mm. If you destroy your family, you have no ministry. So your family is actually part of your ministry, as much a priority as anything else. Others won't let you believe that at times, but mm-hmm. you have to believe it, yeah. that your family is not competition. It's part of your ministry. Yeah. And then to have leaders and fellow pastors who are willing to be supportive. Mm. What you're saying there applies across a lot of lines. Certainly not, first and foremost, yes, with with pastors. But I'm just listening to you thinking certainly about my context, but uh, I'm thinking about the mom listening and or or just the, the man or woman in the business sector where it's like, man, I have been living in a cycle of resentment mm-hmm. and fatigue mm-hmm. and I'm, and I'm dying. Right. And so how can we, how can we come alongside you? How can we help you as the church? Right. Um, and if you're not here at perimeter, how can we help you find a local church that can be that community and that encouragement and that support system mm-hmm. to where you are caring for yourself in a way that, uh, brings you out of that cycle that is so detrimental um, because it's certainly pastors who are feeling that and, and have taken a lot of the brunt of that these last few years. Uh, but it's so, a lot more even just than outside of past, the past. Some of the around. people and pastors who will listen to this, Jeff, and listen to you uh, are part of this denomination that we call the PCA. Attending your church is Ed Dunnington, who mm-hmm, is head mm-hmm. of what's called Geneva Benefits, which is our retirement and benefits or but the other thing they do is they study mm. and help pastors with this very thing yes self-care burnout yes. how do you deal with resentment how do you find pastor cores so for pastors and other church workers who may be listening to this i just mentioned to you geneva benefits yes. which is the pca's me and ed dunnington they have done marvelous work to Wonder, say wonderful what work. helps people yeah. be maintained survive make progress in hard times yeah I'm glad you mentioned that. Also, Laura, will you mention, uh, tell the listeners about the the ministry that Brian has. Yeah, and, and I'd what, love what I'd love offers. for you to talk a little bit about, uh, if people go to Brian Chapel, that's one P, two L's, <laughs> brianchapel.com. Yes. Um, tell us about Unlimited Grace, the book, the podcast, all of it. Oh, thank you. Um, unlimitedgrace.com uh, is the place where there are lots of resources for pastors and training, but also just for uh, people who want to know how does the gospel affect every portion of scripture, every aspect of life? Not it's not just for Sunday. It's not just you know we get to Easter and we'll talk about the gospel. How yeah. how is the gospel woven through all of scripture, and give you strength for helping your kids, your marriage, your finances, your work life? So we try to provide resources there. Some for past. There's a whole section for pastor training. Mm-hmm. We train. 
people in about 90 nations right now uh, in mm. different paths. But there's also uh, just um, everyday folk wanting to know, how does the gospel change how I talk to my kids? How does the gospel change the way I try to heal some things with my spouse? Mm. How does the gospel change the way I think about my finances? Mm. So lots of resources. If you want pastor training, that's brianchapel.com. If you're just wanting, how do I say, the, the regular radio programming and the regular streaming, how do I just, my family, understand the gospel and grow in the grace of God, uh, that's at unlimitedgrace.com. Mm. And Brian's with a Y, <laughs> not an I. Yes. Right. Even if that's you misspelled, Google will get you there. Yeah, Google will <laughs> get you there. Yeah. Okay, I have two last thoughts, and then I want, Jeff, I want you to close this out. Yeah. But my first thought is those people that... Um, that vilify you, I want to go <laughs> punch them. I'm yeah. going to go yes. find them. Yes. I'm going to hunt them down and punch them. Uh, <laughs> Laura, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> because my second thought is, I know uh, it, it's like that old hymn that says, redeeming love has been, my, has been my theme and shall be till I die. And that, when I think about you, this unlimited grace idea, it sounds like from the very beginning of your story, everything from your father taking you um, and showing you what true ministry was, mm-hmm. pastoral ministry, to those those lessons learned at that church, um, to where God has brought you now. I, I feel like we can't get through even just a few minutes um, talking to you without you saying that word grace. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about the resource. I'm excited about what God's doing in and through you. And just thanks so much. I, one thing I'd love... If you could speak right now, and then Jeff, you can close this out. Speak right now to that pastor who is um, wondering, who's contemplating leaving the ministry, just wondering whether any of this is worth it. I, I want every pastor to know that what brought them into ministry is still valid. Mm. What brought you into ministry is your love for the Savior. Mm. And the great blessing, the, the great job that we have is not getting people to straighten up or straighten out the church by vilifying people. <clears throat> and please forgive me if I made you mad at other people. <clears throat> That's not my goal. <laughs> um, the great blessing of a pastor is I get to help people love the one that I love. I mean, if that's the way I perceive my, my job, my greatest most important and favorite job is getting people to love Jesus more. And I get to do that every week and every day. Mm. Um, that's what brought me into ministry. And that's still valid. Even when I've taken a few knocks for that pastor is wondering if it's still worth it to say it is. Uh, Luther's theology of the cross was simply this. If you really are going to be a disciple of Jesus, then that means you have to die on the cross to four other people. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes pastoring is that. It's not always pleasant. But the reason that we do take up our cross is because Jesus took up his cross. Mm-hmm. And we, we get the great job of helping people love the one that we love the most. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Love Thank you, having Jeff. you. Thank you for sitting with us. Thank you for tuning in and uh, listening with us. Uh, these links that we've mentioned, brianchapel.com, unlimitedgrace.com, they'll be in the show notes along with uh, probably some other things in there that I'm not exactly sure, but stuff that will resource you and help you. Uh, but uh, stick with us in this series. I hope you've been with us in this series. I hope you're going to remain with us as we continue to consider faith 
and and um, you know, we're thinking about it. The the next one in the series is going to be faith and emotional health, and just even thinking about you know what pastors are dealing with in terms of emotional health, but just all of us, uh, especially in this season of time and culture that we're in. So. Uh, tune into that one next. Thanks for joining us at Digging Deeper.